This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, bitches. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer and football in Miami-Dade County and beyond. I'm Omar Mubaya. This is, uh, this is interesting. I haven't recorded a podcast in quite a while, and I'm very happy to be joined by everybody's favorite Welshman, Lee Ethans. Lee, how are you, man? It is, I'm good. It is the lockdown edition of the Magic City Soccer podcast, a little sort of special event. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing good as well as can be expected. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I can't complain. We wish from our family to everybody else who's listening on the pod and, you know, really all your families as well, nothing but the best in health and, and, and everything else in life as these troubling times continue. Uh, I've noticed on a personal standpoint that some of the best content I've seen, whether it's been YouTube or podcasts, are actually coming out now in these downtimes where people don't really have much going on and they're trying to juggle all these balls in the air. And yet some of the best content's being created right now. Um, you know, and, and I think this is what we strive to do. So we have a very, very special episode for you today. It's going to be a lot less of Lee, myself, and you know, there's really no appearances from Matt, Drew, and Abel on this one, but they will be on soon. Um, we've talked to some of the professional footballers who have ties to the local Miami area. In this episode, you're going to hear from three local footballers, all who have ties through the various counties uh, here in South Florida. Uh, the first one being Pablo Puned, uh, someone who I actually went to high school with. Second uh, is Christina Fisher, the University of Miami standout, who we had a great conversation with. And third but not least, Lee, that last conversation that you had. Yes, that would be with Nico Harmelainen. Um, on the books of QPR, on loan most recently at Kilmarnock in the Scottish Premier League, and um, has played for Finland, but still not committed to Finland or the USA because that Finnish cap came in a friendly. So still not put his, uh, put his face underneath one particular flag yet. So we're going to go ahead and, and get you guys started, and we're going to kick off the, the, the podcast here with my conversation with Pablo Puniet. And as you'll see through the conversation, Pablo and I, we go way back, uh, decades, as he says, uh, quite vividly, I still remember. And it was really nice to sit down and catch up with Pablo. Um, it's been a long time since we've been in the same room. Well, not even really the same room, technically virtual setting, if you will, uh, given what Zoom is. Um, you know, Lee, Pablo and I go way back, man. We were in the same uh, classes in high school. He was tearing up the soccer pitches while I was, you know, making waves on golf courses. Not, not to his extent, not to his extent, but it was funny. And I'm going to tell you something that, that, that's really funny and I haven't shared openly is um, I made regionals that year uh, at Coral Park Senior High School through for the golf tournament. And uh, I think I was one of the first golfers at Coral Park to make the regional tournament, um, which is the first qualification step after districts. Um, and in, in many years, in many years at, uh, at, at Coral Park. And Pablo Puniet was a top, you know, soccer player, uh, not only at our school, but within the district and the region as well. And I thought for a long time that we would be competing for like male athlete of the year. Granted, like golf and soccer shouldn't be <laughs> compared, but no, no, he blew me out of the water completely. I know. I always, I'm always in awe a little bit of uh, people who were good at sport in high school. 
um, I was I was a late bloomer. Like, I was terrible at all sports, like until I got into sort of my teenage years, and then I start, I I grew up literally very fast, and um, and then I started playing like football, a bit of track and field, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I missed that whole sort of high school experience. And it's got to be different, though. I, I wonder, is it, there has to be a big difference between growing up in, in, in Wales and, and kind of the high school experience here. Well, we definitely don't play golf in school in Wales, no. <laughs> um, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's very focused on certain sports. But uh, it's not about my high school. It's about Pablo Punyad and his journey from high school to the professional soccer field. So let's do that. Our next guest on the show, Pablo Puniad, man. Thank you for coming on. Omar, thank you so much, man. It's been it's a pleasure to get in touch with you again. And 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 what better to talk about than soccer, right? Like, since since day one, we built Magic City Soccer. I'm like, yeah, I'm called Pablo. You've done a good job. It's been some nice chats that I've heard. So well done. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate <laughs> it. So how are you doing? Crazy time in the world with the quarantine and everything else. How's your family? How's everybody else doing right now? Yeah, it's it's bizarre, but it's been a, maybe an opportunity to spend more time with uh, with the family, with my daughter, being able to be around her, and in times where I would otherwise be in training with the team, and 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 you know that process can take three, four hours a day, and and it's maybe those three, four hours when she's um, you know active or, or wants to take a bath and things like that. So it's been nice to to be around her and been some help to my wife with that. Been chatting with my parents on 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 FaceTime, and we've reconnected even more. And that's th- this bizarre times have given me that opportunity, given them a pause as well. I think it's just good to slow things down every once in a while. And of course, like, unfortunately, it takes these kind of uh, extreme measures and, and people have been going through some tough times. And I, I know that, but uh, I, I, I like looking at the bright side of things. Like you, like you asked, everybody in my family is okay. So, you know, in today's technology, you can, you can get in touch with somebody uh, like you and I are doing, you know, so it's like, uh, many, many thousands of miles away, but, but it's still like, you're like, you're right here having a cup of coffee with me, you know? So it works for me, man. It works for me. Right. So let's get started right now. And I know you've been to Miami recently, every public park, every private park, every facility has what seems like a new soccer academy or a new soccer club every day. You see them popping up just out of nowhere, like mushrooms, right? When you go back to when you first started playing on the local pitches, right? Who were the big clubs? Was it the Strike Forces, the KSPs, the Westons? And, and then, well, what did that scene look like to you back, you know, what now, 25, 20 years ago even? Yeah, it's, um, so I went, to, I uh, flew to Miami, I moved to Miami with the family when I was around 10 years old. Okay. And then uh, from El Salvador. And when I got there, you know, I played YMCA. I played uh, whatever my parents could afford to do because I have three other little brothers. So we, you know, everybody was involved in soccer and, and YMCA level, you have parents coaching you. So the point of that is just to get reps in games, basically. So you just go out there, play as many minutes as you can and, and you just have fun and that's that. Right. But you know, it gets to a point where it's not really competitive. And, you know, I took the decision around 12, 13 to move up a notch basically. And that came along as well with moving uh, up to middle school. So now I'm in sixth grade and I'm interacting with eighth graders. So people two years older 
that's 12 to 14 years old. So there's a big difference in physicality and in, in the speed of soccer that's played. And I learned a lot with that. Now, in club level, there was, yeah, Strike Force. There was a team called Hammocks as well. They were really good. KSP has always been around Kendall Soccer, but they weren't called Kendall Soccer before. They were called KSC. Okay. And, and it, you know, there was some some name I can't remember, but I wasn't even playing with them either. So, and they those were the two big teams in, in South Florida. Weston wasn't even that big then. They started growing around when I was 14, 15. Then they started becoming a force. I imagine because Weston as a community was growing. It was still new, brand new at that time. Right. Uh, we're talking 2004 or five. Yeah. Uh, you, you just, we just kept moving up, but there was no academy. There was no team that was a serious team. Uh, at the time, it was called traveling teams, you know? Yeah, and, right, uh, right. I was just joining uh, traveling teams. As I got called, I got invited to play for this team for a couple of months and, and, and participate in one, two tournaments and then over there. And, you were able to do that. There was, it wasn't like you had your pass the way you do now with academy teams. Um, and in fact, it wasn't until my last year of high school when I was 18 and I had been at Kendall for a few years that the academy system began. So my last year was the first year that the academy system was, was introduced to the, to the U.S., which I thought was a really good step forward for the U.S. because then you have 17 and 18-year-olds interacting. You have 15 and 16-year-olds, you know? So it's always good to play up a level. I think that's always that's always necessary. And I wish I would have had more of a chance to do that in in, a, in an organized manner. So when you look at how far the sport has come in South Florida and even Miami, right, from when you started within the YMCA's and the smallers and the traveling teams, does it surprise you at the development, especially just in the Miami? Or did you think at some point, like, because of the infrastructure and because of really the melting pot that South Florida is, that it, it, it seems like it's normal. It seems like it would have happened eventually anyway. I'm actually surprised it took this long, to be honest. <laughs> it, I, I really am because there, there, you know, there were some soccer teams down South that were trying to be professional, especially in the, in the USL before the USL was the USL. You, know? right. like it was, uh, you had Miami FC. So I was actually in the academy that I joined, which was Kendall slash Miami FC. So it was, it was uh, in partnership with the Miami FC team. So every now and then we'd be able to train with the first team there and stuff like that. So that was, that was a good avenue, I guess. But it was nothing like the way it is now and organized. Now, I grew up in Doral, which is a, which is a new neighborhood in Miami, on the west side of Miami. And it was, uh, you know, there was no soccer fields anywhere. Like we were using a random park and we'd take cones and that's how we would train, Right or trees even, you know, garbage cans, whatever we had, we just, we'd use right. that. Now, now Doral has, you know, indoor soccer fields everywhere. It has, yeah. uh, on each park, there's like five or six different soccer fields uh, out of artificial grass. KSP now has, what, 12, 15 fields? I'm not even sure in Kendall. There's <laughs> fields everywhere, you know? I wish we would have had that. We would have been playing all the time, I think. You know? Right. It's almost as if baseball has kind of taken a back seat now yeah. to the development of soccer because, that's the way baseball was. You had fields at every public park. And now when you go to a public park in Miami, like Doral, I live in Doral. Like every park has a full-size field, if not one or full-size pitch, and then four or five mini pitches with it. We can play right, five yeah. aside or six aside. Yeah, especially in, in South Florida, I think baseball has taken that backseat. And you can see it in the way that um, the Marlins games, for example. Like now they're, they're, trying, they're giving tickets away and people still don't yeah. show up, you know. I don't know if it's a marketing thing. I don't know if it's something with MLB. I don't know if it's something with the city specifically, but... 
it's a shame, you know, because it's a beautiful stadium. It's like every 10 years, you have a really good Marlins team and then it kind of sells the players and on the go, right? In hindsight, right? And, and we know that there was no major infrastructure. There was no professional soccer team in South Florida. Yeah, like you said, right? You had old USL pro teams, the old Miami FC that then became the Fort Lauderdale Strikers and, and, and guys mm. trying to be that. But I don't want to talk about MLS, but there was no MLS club, right? There, there was, was no, no infrastructure. Club. There was no heavyweight that would then can build that, you know, development. There wasn't even academy. an NASL club, you know. So no, 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 it, there wasn't. There Absolutely. Was yeah. Absolutely. Like the best you had was USL Pro. And I think at that time, Division Three, if, if that. Do you feel like there was any advantage growing up in South Florida and in Miami as compared to had you grown up somewhere else in the United States? You know, for every advantage, there's also a disadvantage. And, and then you try to take just the best out of wherever you are. So, you know, I'll even, I'll even put in there the decision of why I decided to go to college at St. John's in New York, as opposed to in Florida, right? So Florida at the time had a, a bright futures scholarship thing. So I could have gone to any university in Florida, basically on a scholarship and be fine. But there were no good soccer colleges at the time, you know, like UCF, USF, Florida Gulf Coast, FIU, these kind of schools were not competitive enough to the level that I wanted to play at. So I took the decision to play outside of Florida. And uh, today, you know, UCF, USF, Florida Gulf Coast, FIU are ranked in the top 40 or something in the NCAA in Division One. So that's that's a huge step forward. They weren't in the top 40 when I was in college. And, weren't even Division yeah. One. most of them. They were in Division Two. No, no, they were in Division One. I think FIU um, was D2. I could be mistaken, though. Maybe. I'm not. I think they've always <laughs> been Division One, but... but uh, like USF, they were competitive. They played in the Big East. And again, like if I was going to go to Tampa, I might as well just go away as well to outside yeah, of Florida. Just you're, you're so close to home that it almost doesn't make sense to have the four-hour yeah, ride yeah. when you can have the four-hour plane ride if you wanted to and, and be more independent, right? That's right. Yeah. So it, it, I made that decision and, and I left because I thought I had reached as competitive a, a development I could develop in South Florida. And the advantage of that was that I grew up playing with Argentinians, Brazilians, Colombians, Venezuelans, Ecuadorians, Peruvians, Central Americans, Mexicans, Americans. Like, you know, it was just a melting pot of Latin Americans playing together. And, and we had a lot of fun. We learned from each other. You know, we knew that some people had a more natural inclination to speed and others inclination to ball control. And, you know, and we used each other's advantage. And that's why it was so difficult to play against us. You know, when we when we were in the academy, we were, we were the best in our in, in the southeast region, you know, because of that. And it was difficult to maybe go north and you know just to say a a, a state, North Carolina, right? And it was, you know, forty degrees Fahrenheit outside, and it was we were freezing for us Miamians, right? <laughs> you know, we probably not had any rest. We we driven for twelve hours and and stayed in in, in a hotel, four guys in a room, and and you know, showed up the next day, played a game. And these guys are just physically much fitter than we were, although we were technical. But the game has changed so much now that you need to be up to the level, up to the standard physically. And then you can kind of enjoy it tactically and technically. So that, that was also, I guess, maybe a disadvantage. We didn't have the right preparation to, to compete at a, at a national level uh, consistently. We did it, you know, it was kind of like one time it was a good game, the next time it wasn't, you know, and... and so that would be maybe a disadvantage that I saw growing up in South Florida. It's changed so much now. Oh, 100%. You see now across every sport, not just soccer, that really fitness is the key. Where before, maybe when we were in high school, the idea was you don't go into the weight room until your junior, senior mm. year. You know, it doesn't matter what sport you were, even football, really, sometimes. Yeah, you just don't go into the weight room. You don't risk development there. That's right, yeah. I was always told, you know, if, you, if you're going to lift, you're going to be heavier. 
and like that's not a false statement specifically but it's the wrong kind of a, a approach to weightlifting you know i didn't start weightlifting until i got to college you know then they looked at me like listen you, you gotta get stronger if you want to play in division <laughs> one like you, and i didn't know this because i was fit enough i was good enough and and i was able to 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 be playing consistently based on those merits but i had to get stronger really fast If we fast forward back mm. when Wake Forest and UNC and Virginia dominated college soccer, right? Mm. What did you weigh out when you considered your options? Because I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think St. John's was your only offer. It was not. It was, I, had, right. I had many offers, yeah. <laughs> so what did you consider? Were you looking at playing time? Were you looking at development for the next level, the pedigree of the school, the education? Because like between you and I, like you're a bright guy, right? A lot of people pass the high school course just because of you. Let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not joke about that, right? But what did you? What were the factors there that you weighed out with you and your family when you made that decision? I have a set of core values that I abide by, and I try at all times to search excellence in those values. Right now, that makes the decision, any decision that I have, really easy. But the action is really hard. So, the decision of 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 playing at a high level meant that I would leave home. The decision was easy. I wanted to play there. But the action was really hard. It's really difficult to leave, you know, go for far from home, uh, leave my brothers, leave my my parents behind, leave the warmth behind. You know, <laughs> it's hard. Now, I had to say many, many no's to different schools that that were offering me. I think the number one thing for me came down to what kind of culture the program had. So I, I visited a couple of schools, um, and I'll say just the top two that I visited: St. John's, which I ended up going to, and Harvard. Okay. So I was being recruited by Harvard. You mentioned me being a bright kid. So yeah, I, I was being recruited by Harvard and Harvard didn't give, uh, or any Ivy League schools don't give athletic scholarships. So we had to use uh, a little bit of uh, of my grades and I had the good enough grades to be accepted there. Uh, and then they were, you know, financial aid would, would kind of tie in together to create a package for me to go there. And when I got to Boston, you know, I went to see their training sessions. I went to some classes and I didn't like it. I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel comfortable there. I didn't feel like I was going to be able to produce my best. I think maybe when I look back, you think, mm, you know, let's <laughs> let's go. Let, let's choose that option. Right. And see how that plays out. But it's it's. I ended up choosing New York. I went there and, and the coach, you know, the amount of detail that he's still there, Coach Mazer, and he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, I learned so much from him and the, the attention to detail that he places on, on every single moment of the game, it doesn't allow for anything less than your best at every moment, whether that's in training, whether that's in a journal entry that you're putting into in preparation for the game. Uh, you know, whether that's in class too, because he was always on top of you to make sure that if things are okay outside the pitch, then on the pitch, you're going to be able to focus on the game. If you have distractions off the pitch, that transfers over to the game. So that's that's something that that really caught my eye. And on top of that, St. John's was a top 10 program. We ended up being ranked number one for many months while I was there in the in Division One. So, you know, we, we ended up winning three out of the four years. We ended up winning a trophy and, and went to the final four one of the years. And, and that's, you know, that's maybe a reflection of the competitiveness as well that I saw myself being able to challenge myself enough to thrive for more and achieve the level of success that you aspire to, you know. Yeah. I think that's really eloquent. I think you're absolutely right. I think it couldn't have been an easy decision to leave. You know what I mean? I, by any means, you got to leave your whole family behind. You're going to a place where you don't 
you may not know anybody, right? And you're now going to be assimilate yourself into a culture that is something different than what you've experienced your entire life. And, you know, a lot of people talk down about college, right? And like, it's maybe not a good stepping stone for the professional game, but I disagree. I think the way that basketball have done it and American football, if I'm not mistaken, you have to do at least one year of college before you can be drafted and, and, and play the professional part. And I think that should be a necessity as well for, for soccer players in the U.S. Now, if you want to go play somewhere else abroad, by all means, go for it. If you have that opportunity, you know, that's your decision. Now, I found that it's a good thing to be able to leave home, mature for a year. If you're meant to play pro, taking a year of school is not going to change that. Like, you're going to get there. If you have the quality, if you have the dedication, you're going to get there. But it kind of teaches you as well to to play with guys now that are four years older as opposed to just one year older or maybe on the same year. It also allows you to to maybe search a little bit more to what you want to do in your life. What do you like doing? What do you not like doing? You know, how do you organize your time? And and these are all aspects that you don't get taught in the professional game. You kind of, when you're there, you're just expected to know these things, how to prepare mentally, how to maintain mentally, you know, and, and it's it's a huge aspect of, of the game. And, and although it, it kind of seems like the college game now is is revolves around the physicality of it, you know, unlimited substitutions and the game, it's a game clock as opposed to just running time. You know, those changes could be could be made to like uh, resemble the professional game so that there's it's a little bit less running about at 60%, 70% and more 100% down 20, down to up to 100, down to 20%, you know, like, which is a sprint stop kind of thing, which is seen in the professional game. But anyway, that's just a whole other, then a whole does other that, podcast in itself. It, it is, it is, but I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to let you off the hook there. Then does that make the game more exclusive, the college game, and less inclusive in the sense that you know that the offers that you have to target, let's say you're a head coach at a you know D1 soccer program, you know that you only have a set amount of guys that are going to give you, you know, the optimum performance that you're looking for going into the match anyway. Yeah, for sure. We, I mean, in college, we had a squad of 28 players or something like that. You know, it's, it's huge. And, and, and you may be using 20 guys in a game. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Because you'd be playing and all of a sudden you're playing with a brand new set of, of, a, of a block of six going forward. And so you need to adapt more to those players. And, and, and maybe there's, there's a rhythm cut off, you know, and maybe the other team changes entire setup or, or the entire line or whatever it might be. And, and, and so it creates a little bit of, of uncertainty in the professional game. You have more accountability in each position. Normally the back four and the goalkeeper are not changed, for example. It needs to be changed, I think, for the college game to be an even better stepping stone to the professional game. But I still think it's it's a necessary step for not everybody, but for most people. Let's fast forward, right? We've talked about the college game. We talked about your experience at St. John's. You're picking supplemental draft by Kansas City, right, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. You defer, right? You say, I'm, I'm going to Europe. I'm not going into the MLS system. How big of a decision was that for you now? And, and even though it seems like the right decision in hindsight, and, and I'm an outsider and I'm telling you I think it was the right decision, how difficult and how scary was that, even as compared to choosing to go to college somewhere else and not locally? You know, I've already made my decision to go to Iceland to, to travel here and, and try opportunities here. So – it was it was kind of very difficult because 
on one hand, I'm thinking that's one entire life that I could do there. And I know that I'm capable of playing the MLS and I hope I get the chance one day as well to show that. But on the other hand, I'm thinking I, I can make an entire new adventure. I can, I can forge an entirely new path. You look at the sport in Iceland, really, it, it almost seems like you were a, a ahead of the time in the thinking, right? Because you get there pre the explosion and I'm not going to lie and, and pretend that I knew what the sport was like in Iceland, even prior to... A, I had one, no idea either. Yeah, one, you getting there and B, then the explosion of you know, FIFA World Cup qualifications and then the Euros in 2016 and then the group stage in 2018, right? So w what was that like seeing it firsthand and, and maybe even playing a part of it through its domestic league? I'll give you an example. 2013, I was playing in, in, in a team in the Premier here and I fractured my metatarsal. So I was out for two and a half, three months without playing. Came back, played, played the last uh, eight or nine games in the league. You know, the league is finished. Uh, and I'm, and I'm without a contract, right? So that was a point where I'm like, okay, now I need to make a decision. Am I going to be, and I'm going to sign again for another team in Iceland, or am I going to go back abroad or find something else around the world? And I got an inv invitation from Kansas City to participate in their, in their training camp. So I go to Kansas City. I, I take part in preseason with them. I do very well. And, and the coach, Peter Vermees, he uh, says, listen, we'll take you and we'll loan you to Energy FC, which or Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah who at the time, uh, Peter Nielsen was coaching. He used to be the goalkeeper at, in, in Kansas City. So, you know, it was, a, it was a nice opportunity. It could have been. Uh, but again, I declined. And I took my chance yet again to come back to Iceland because I had something I needed to prove. So I signed for this team called Stjarnan. And we end up winning the league that year undefeated. First, we beat a team from Wales. Then we beat Mother, Motherwell of Scotland in, in, a, in a home and away tie. Then we go play Lech Poznan in Poland. Uh, we beat them in a, in a home and away tie. Uh, and then we... Uh, we go and, and play Inter Milan, you know, at, at the San Siro and, and, and home. So, I mean, that, that was phenomenal, right? Then I get called up for the national team in that October after we won the league. And, and then an entire new adventure begins, right? Iceland at the time as well was, was fighting to make it to the World Cup 2014. They went to the playoffs, had to play Croatia. Right. They lost. So they, they missed out on an opportunity to, to go to the World Cup, but they were so close. And now people started believing, like, you know, I think, I think Iceland, Icelandic soccer could make that first step because at the time they hadn't made any of the big tournaments uh, in their history uh, although having phenomenal players play but it was just you know individual talent here and there um, then you know comes in a coach comes in called uh, Lars Lagerbach he, he arrived about the same time that I arrived in Iceland and he he's sort of like the Phil Jackson of <laughs> of like soccer and building teams and, he, and the way that he took Sweden for example uh, again a small Scandinavian country to participate in World Cups and European Cups uh, from the early 2000s, uh, he they didn't miss a tournament. And then he comes along to Iceland, and people are thinking, okay, is he going to be able to do that with Iceland? Iceland has 350,000 people, and he manages to get them to the playoffs one goal away from making the World Cup 2014. Then he makes the European Cup 2016 and creates the avenue for the for the for the culture in the team to to make the World Cup in 2018. Now that that comes from his culture building of coaching similar to phil jackson where the team is better than the than the individual and that's something i learned in iceland and that's part of the icelandic culture maybe even the scandinavian culture i would say that the team is better than the individual and that's something that that i've tried to transfer as well to a salvador national team i've tried to transfer it to the individual clubs and it varies of course um, every club has its own culture and, and and some things are better than others but uh, but that that desire to work as a team, you could you, you could feel that in the Icelandic national team, 
uh, in 2016 in the European Cup in, in their in their extraordinary run that they had, and then uh, again in the World Cup as well. There, there there was unity in the team. They weren't the best team, they but they were so organized, and every player knew exactly what they needed to do out there. And that's something that I learned a lot here over the last seven eight years. You know? When you compare the European game and the tactics that are displayed there, and then you talk about CONCACAF matches playing with El Salvador, obviously I know there's a huge difference, but if you can highlight the one key difference, is it the physicality, is it the style of play, is it the officiating? What do you say separates the two games the most? And is there a point in time that you think that those two games will bridge together, whether aspects of CONCACAF move to Europe or more European influences then move over to CONCACAF? I'll start with uh, the one key difference. Excluding the U.S., the fields are just so bad in CONCACAF. I mean, <laughs> I don't mean it, to laugh. I don't mean to laugh, but I see yeah, no, no, it's is. true. It's, oh, it's yeah. just the infrastructure. It's just it's just so 1980, you know, 1970, 1980. Like it's it's just not good enough anymore. Not if those teams want to develop, and that's why they haven't been able to develop. That's why El Salvador is still stuck thinking, you know. But we made the 1982 World Cup, you know, and that's something that that needs to change. It needs to change to how can we uh, how can we adjust to today's game, not the game from 1982 or 1970, whatever it might be. And Canada kind of was like that as well up until very recently. They started making some changes, some structural changes, and and things have been going very well for them. Costa Rica did that as well, and they had a great run in 2014 in the World Cup. Mexico has has always been on top of that, uh, and the U.S. as well. You know, and and you can reap benefits from that. Uh, the rest of the Concacaf needs to catch up because they're, they're, otherwise the gaps just going to get bigger. That's one of the key things I see. So like. In Europe, you can go to any any team and, and you'll have a complicated game. Iceland is now a very complicated team to play against. Nobody wants to come to Iceland to play. But people will kind of say like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess we would have to go to play against St. Vincent, you know, and Grenadines, for example. Right. Or, or like Bahamas even. You know, there's, it's very accessible games, you would say. Uh, there's no accessible games in Europe. I would say that's, that's one, of the, one of the key differences, right? Do I think that the game could be bridged together a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of South American influence in Europe. Europe is a lot more tactically organized, and 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 Concacaf and South American soccer is a little bit more individual based, talent technical based. Um, I think overall, or at least over large periods of time, the tactical game can can outsmart the individual player because you can you can limit opportunities. Iceland did that to Argentina, for example, when they played against them in the World Cup, uh, and you I mean you stop not stop, but you limit the opportunities that Messi has against, against Iceland. And that's a tribute to the organization of the team. You know, that's not a tribute to how good each individual player is. Don't get me wrong. They're very good players and they're prepared and everybody's, you know, excited to play in a world cup match. Right. But, but still you have to be organized and, and tactically sound in order to compete at that level. And I think that's, uh, that's where maybe the, the, the bridge needs to happen. I think CONCACAF needs to adopt a little bit more tactical uh, approach to the game and, uh, and maybe a little bit more physicality. And Europe needs to adopt more technical aspect of the game, more individuality, more freedom. But again, that's, that's the beauty of the game. You, you go anywhere in the world, you find a different style and, and it's effective in its own way. Pablo, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. It's great to see you, even if it's through a screen and it's not in person, it's not over a cup of coffee. Tell the people where to find you. Tell them what it you're is. working on. Tell them what they can. <laughs> I wish I wish I had one. I drank it before I came in. <laughs> tell the people where to find you. Tell the people what you're working on. Feel free to just go ahead and, and plug whatever it is you want to plug, man. Cool. Thanks, Omar. Listen, it's it's been it's been a blast, man. I, I, had, I hadn't spoken to you in some time and... and 
I'm glad to see you involved more in the South Florida soccer. I, I really do hope that the, the MLS can resume and, and, and you know, uh, the, the Inter-Miami team can have some success because it's, it's, it's a fun project. I, I see that happening. I, I also Miami FC and the USL Pro now, that's, that's fun to see them up and running again as well. And, and I hope things start developing more, more for the environment in South Florida. I appreciate um, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm active on, on Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is Pablo Puniad 90, so 90. Uh, and my Twitter is just Pablo Puniad, first and last name. Uh, very simple. I'm, I'm very active. <laughs> I, I, I reply to, to most people that, that interact with me, or at least I try to. And, uh, and yeah, listen, man, I had a blast. Thank you so much for, for, for this fun interview. And, and I hope we can do this again sometime in the near future. I hope so too, man. Stay safe. I appreciate it again, man, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. I think you could tell from my voice that it was very uh, a very lovely experience to catch up with Pablo. And, and we hope to have him back on the show again soon. And as he mentioned, he's always down to talk some football. So we're going to have to have to bring him on. But Lee, the second yeah, just, guest just on don't the show... On, on Pablo, he had some really good opinions, like especially you know, the difference between the college game and that. And um, what I like about Pablo is he was really driven, wasn't he, Omar, to play professional I mean, he's soccer. He's always been that way. Yeah, to play professional soccer somewhere in the world. And, you know, the opportunity for Iceland came up. I would have loved to have played in the Icelandic first division. That's a heck of an achievement. Great chat. I'll, Thank you, I'll Omar. Tell you, I'll tell you this, though, real quick before we segue into the second guest. I remember... Um, his drive was always to be a professional footballer. And, and, and when I think a lot of us who went to high school with him knew that he had the talent to do so, even if I hadn't been really like, you know, thrown into the waves of soccer yet. Um, but everybody knew he was special. Everybody knew he had the talent to do it. Um, and it was interesting because when we found out that he was going, I followed him through college at St. John's, but when we found out he was going to ice and we we're like, wait, what? Like, he's going to ice? like, hang on a second. And then you start seeing the Europa league runs and then playing you know, uh, entering yeah. the San Siro, and everybody was just like, "What channel is the game on?" <laughs> we have coming up in some of the other episodes. You have a couple of more moments like that, where I can't quite believe these uh, these players from Miami went up against uh, big names and played in big clubs. But let's move on. Let's Number move two. On. Number two, Christina Fisher, the University of Miami standout. You were able to catch up with her. Uh, what did you What did you take away from that conversation with Christina? Uh, Chrissy is wonderful footballer so technical a joy to watch you know i i we discovered fc surge or i did i should say all last year and um you know it's it's a good launching pad fc surges d2 soccer in the wpsl is a good launching pad for these uh these ladies to try and find a professional uh professional spot on a roster somewhere um but she's got some great insights um you know she's just starting now playing professionally in spain so let's catch up with Chrissy. All right, so now we are here with Christina Fisher, Chrissy Fisher um, of the UM, formerly of the UM Hurricanes FC Surge, and now playing with Sporting Club the Huelva in Spain. Chrissy, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, well, thank you. So, Chrissy, I'm going to start at the end because I think this is the thing I'm most interested in is um, how is it playing for uh, a Spanish team and how did that come about? 
Oh, it was a great experience. Um, so I graduated in December from University of Miami, and I knew I wanted to play pro. So I reached out to a couple agencies to see if they had any opportunities available. And one came back and was very helpful in finding this opportunity. And um, so I joined Sporting Welva for the last half of their season um, to try and help them get out of relegation zone and see what we can do. And so while I was over there, I was able to play and have a great experience. But obviously with COVID, it was cut short. But it was awesome to get over there and try to incorporate myself into the team in such a short time. Great. So are you still signed on with them or do you have to wait now for this whole virus thing to go away and then see what else you can sort out? Right. I signed a six month contract with them just for the end of the season to see how things went. And moving forward, I'm planning on staying with them so I can continue my experience uh, in Spain and keep working with the team. What was the main differences between, say, playing with a college team, University of Miami and playing for FC Surge and playing over there for a professional team? Right. So I think um, the speed of play was a big part of the difference. Uh, being in the ACC, one of the toughest conferences in the nation, the speed of play was always high. But in Spain, uh, it was just another level. Um, for instance, we played Barcelona and just playing against them was something else. Like their style of play, their um, tempo, it was just amazing to see and play against and have that opportunity to immerse myself in. In terms of the team, uh, Sporting Welva in particular, um, they were very talented and working on um, staying in the first division where they've been for so long. And so it's just great um, moving up from FC Surge and University of Miami to um, somewhere in Spain. You, you mentioned Barcelona there, and uh, that was one of the games that sort of jumped out. And that was actually streamed online. I was in work at the time, but I was watching it online. Did you ever think, you know, sort of maybe even six months, nine months ago, when you were in Miami and sort of playing, do you ever think that you would end up playing for a team against Barcelona in the Spanish women's premier division? No, it honestly never crossed my mind. And when I saw that they were going to be on a schedule and that I was going to be able to play at their stadium, it was just insane because it's one of those things you dream about but never actually think will happen. <laughs> did you dream about that, Christy, when, when, you, when, you was, when you were little? Did you ever dream about playing in that kind of environment, playing professionally and playing in a big stadium or a big occasion like against Barcelona? Of course. I've always, ever since I was little, I've always wanted to play professional and my end goal being to play on the um, women's national team. And so it's always been a dream of mine and I'm just still working towards that dream. And um, so before, let's rewind a little bit. Before, you know, you went to college and everything like that. When did you sort of start playing soccer regularly? When did it start to take hold for you? Uh, when I was around eight years old, I'd say, my sister and I saw um, my cousin playing soccer and we're like, wow, that looks fun. So we changed from dancing to soccer and really never looked back. And um, one of the things that I noticed is different, obviously, with the WPSL and the college game, they, is the, the substitutions. You can always come in and out. So when you're playing mm -hmm. now um, for a team where it's more traditional, they have the three subs and that's it. Uh, does that mean you have to modify your game a little bit, pace yourself throughout the match if you're selected because you know you're not coming on and off? I guess just you have to be more ready, like be fit, be prepared to give it your all because my perspective is I'd rather give it my all and be subbed out if I, I'm too tired than not give it my all and not be at my best for the entire game. 
And um, where was it you grew up? Did you, did you grow up in Miami or were you a little bit further up the coast? You were more, more sort of Palm Beaches, right? Right, I was further north. I'm from Jupiter, Florida, so it's close to Miami, but yeah. And, um, and the whole UM thing, is, was UM always where you wanted to play? Like, you like it in South Florida? Because a lot of people go to other places for college. Right. Honestly, I never thought about playing for them. I was just keeping all my options open. I was open to going out of the state. But once I took my visit there, I was like, wow, this place is awesome. Not only, like I said, do they, are they in the best conference for women's soccer right now, but also it's great academically. And I really wanted to have um, both of those pieces in my college experience. And then in addition, it's Florida and I'm from here and I love it here. So it's the best of both worlds, honestly. Um, this is a bit of a tricky question, maybe, but do you think there's enough opportunities for women to play soccer in the US once they've done that whole college thing? It seems like once that's done, for, for me, there's not a lot of opportunities. What do you think? Right. I, I tend to agree with you, kind of, because right now the NWSL is a great, great league, but that's the highest league we have here. And I think it's hard for a lot of players to get into that league. And then I know we also have the WPSL and I think the UWS, Correct, yes. if I'm not wrong, um, they, which they're also great leagues. But like you said, the WPSL and I think also the UWS aren't like full year long, like the NWSL would be more so. And so I think a lot of players tend to go overseas, not only to just to get the experience of going abroad, but just so they have uh, a chance to play. Whereas if they were to try to play in the NWSL, it would be harder them. Yeah, I did that math in my head and I'm recalling it from my head now, so I might be wrong, but it seems like there's only maybe 240, 250 places on a roster for an NWSL team. And when you think that they have some international players as well, that's really not a lot of opportunities for, for women in the US to play professional soccer the whole year round, is it? Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I guess a couple of other little fun questions. Like when you were growing up, was there a player that you sort of idolized? You know, I ask this to everyone and it's always an interesting <laughs> to see that. I've always liked Messi. I know it's pretty cliche, but I really like how Messi moves around on the field. Just how awesome he is. It's always fun to watch him play and create. Well, I've, I've had the privilege of watching you play and you have that same sort of, I like those soccer players when they can change direction really quickly. And Messi <laughs> does that so well. I'm hopeless. Like I could, I could never do that when I play. But you've got that balance. What's What's your favorite position, Chrissy? Out on the wing, in the center? Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. Because I used to play more forward or more in the midfield as number ten, kind of like Messi. And then in college, I kind of played more on the wing. Honestly, I just like it wherever I get the ball most and where I can be most impactful for my team. And just a little bit about FC Surge. I, I only discovered them quite um, quite recently. I mean, I haven't been in Miami that long, but I discovered them quite mm -hmm. recently. How important is what Marge Perry and FC Surge do to – how important is that for women's soccer in Miami? Right. They're awesome. Uh, I played with FC Surge for two years, and I had a great time. Uh, Marge and Ramiro, they're great. They work great together, and everyone involved in the organization is awesome. Um, they allow players from college to have an opportunity to continue to train during the summer times and increase their skills. And 
work towards just getting better for the season and having fun. So I think it's huge and I hope they continue doing what they're doing because it's awesome. And how are you dealing with this whole lockdown thing? I mean, you say you're back in Florida. Are you uh, still managing to work out and keep yourself as match fit as you can, I guess? Yeah, uh, it's hard as it is for everyone, but I run and train with my sister and my family. And I just found out that the fields opened up here. So I've been going to the fields every day. So it's been good to get back out there and start shooting again. Any little clues as to um, what might be next for you? I know you said you want to go back to uh, Whaleville. Is there any interest anywhere else? Uh, I think right now I'd like to stay with Walva just to continue building the relationships I have over there. And then from there, we'll see. I'm not sure. <laughs> I emailed them to try and get the jersey because it had the jersey and I loved that it. it just had fish on the back. Yeah, that's my nickname. That's why I put fish on the back of my jersey. <laughs> I will make sure to call you fish all the time from now on. <laughs> Chrissy, thank you so much for your time. It's great to catch up. Um, We'll, we'll let everyone know on our social media uh, if and when Chrissy ends up back in Spain and we can keep tabs on her. But uh, Chrissy, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for talking to us. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. That was an excellent conversation with Fish. Now, you know, the interesting part about that conversation that I took away, Lee, was the fact that you know, she kind of agreed with you in the sense that there aren't that many opportunities in, you know, the United States, let alone North America for collegiate athletes to play in the women's game if they don't get, you know, uh, drafted by the NWSL. It's, it surprised me, Omar, when I, when I, when we came up with the idea of (laughs) of doing this, um, I started looking in the NWSL for players with a link to South Florida, and I only turned up two which really surprised me. And uh, they'll be featuring in upcoming episodes and you'll be able to tell if you do a bit of Googling who it might be. But yeah, no, it's, um, I, I sort of talk about that with, uh, with the ladies that I spoke to. And, uh, you know, it is frustrating. There's one top division. There's not a lot of teams in that top division. D2 is kind of like, you know, have to go around the, the college game. So, you know, it is an issue, but I sort of feel it's moving in the right direction broadly, you know. No, it really is. I mean, it, it is sad. I mean, from a from a perspective where I stand, it is sad that the Division Two women's game in this country is uh, very similar to Division Four men's game. When you look at MPSL and PDL, it's not a year round. It's in the summer. It's during the off time, and a lot of these rosters are comprised of college athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, Christy, I, to go from playing D two FC Surge to, to Playing in Spain and going to play for Barcelona, it's like, you know, it must be, must be such a high. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, traveling up, Welver is on the south coast of Spain, traveling up to, you know, Barcelona on the, on the coast and and playing a game there. What a, what a dream come true for the fish. Let's transition now into our last guest, Lee. I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce it because I'm (laughs) going to butcher it. Who's our third guest? It is Nico Harmelainen. Um, now, one of the things during lockdown, I don't play FIFA for two reasons. I don't have a PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One or whatever, and I'm rubbish at it. So, um, <laughs> so I'm more of a football manager player. So I, I went in and I created a little South Florida team and I started adding players in and I was just turning players up. And then this guy, Nico Armelinen, um turns up. And I'm like, that's not a very South Florida surname at all, is it? You know, something 
something uh, Western European or something uh, Spanish, you know, you, you'd expect. But um, he does have some Finnish roots. Um, he's got the world at his feet. Left back, playing with um, Queen's Park Rangers in the championship or on the roster, going on loan to uh, the top division in Scotland. I think he's, he's very, very close to breaking through. And he's got an interesting choice between Finland and the USA. But we'll let uh, Nico talk about it in his own words. So here with me is uh, Nico Harmelainen. Nico, first things first, did I get the last name right? Yeah, close. Well, basically. Close, basically, (laughs) Close enough. Um, So Nico um, grew up in West Palm Beach um, on the books of QPR. Are you still... Um, contracted to QPR and on loan at Kilmarnock? Yeah, I'm still a contractor at QPR. Great. Talk to me about when you first fell in love with soccer. When did that happen for you? I guess I was really just born into it, I guess. According to my parents, my first words were the ball. Well, first huh. two words were the ball. So, um, yeah, I think I guess I was just born into it. Uh, my dad and my uh, grandfather were ex-professionals um, in Finland. So maybe it's just in my blood. So the the Finnish ties come from your father's side then? Yeah, yeah. And how long did you live in uh, in South Florida? How long did you live in West Palm Beach for? I was born and raised, live here. I'm here right now. So uh, I've lived here all my life up to obviously when I moved uh, to like start pursuing the, to be a professional. So um, at what point did you really start to sort of take it seriously then, Nico? When, when did you really start to like take hold with playing soccer regularly and thinking this is what I want to do? Ever since I could probably remember probably waking up every morning with my dad at like 7, I think it was 7.15, 7.30 to watch the Premier League on TV. And then obviously during the week and stuff, I'd just be training and training and training and training. Obviously going to school and then obviously training at nighttime. And I just loved it. Loved doing it. Loved playing it. Like made me obviously feel good, happy, all that type of stuff. So just pursued it from there. How was it sort of getting your grounding in the game in South Florida? I mean, it's it's an unusual part of the world. We have people from all over the world here and, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of good academies and that sort of thing. How was that experience for you coming up in South Florida? I think because it's so diverse, you have so many different cultures and stuff. So, like, for instance, I grew up with a bunch of different types of Spanish, like Spanish-speaking people. And they're obviously, all they know is football and soccer. That's all they know. So um, obviously that, especially in South Florida, is soccer is pretty big compared to other states um, in the United States. And then I think because it's so popular in South Florida, it kind of made it easier for me and other people to understand that this is what he loves to do. This is what a lot of people would love to do. So, yeah. So talk to me about yourself as a player, because you're a left back, right? Was you, were you always a defender or did you start out in another place in the field and move there? When I was younger, I was I was never a defender. <laughs> I was always a attacking attacking player. Either a, I was either a winger, left left side, right side winger or a number 10, more creative side of things. <laughs> But obviously, when I went to QPR, they kind of, I guess, turned me into a left back because they saw that I had the legs to get up and down. And obviously, nowadays, how you play out from the back and stuff like that, 
most of the game comes through your fullbacks and like defenders. So they saw my technical ability and how I can create stuff and obviously just how I can run and stuff like that. So I think they changed me into it. <laughs> um, the QPR thing, how did that come about? Um, I was actually a guy named Ian Bishop. Used to play for oh, yeah. Manchester yeah. City and West Ham and stuff like that. Um, he's uh, my dad's like friend, uh, family type friend. And um, he basically like, used to coach me and like be around me and other like players and stuff, training us and stuff in South Florida. And then I guess when he thought I was ready, he um, ended up getting me uh, trials, obviously through his connections. Uh, first, I went to West Ham on trial. Didn't work out. They said I was too small. <laughs> um, then I yeah, then I ended you're up. Si- you're six foot one. It says on Wikipedia. Yeah. How is that too small? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> or no, was that um, that was you younger? You did a little growth. Yeah. This, this, yeah. Probably when I was fifteen, sixteen. This is this is when I was fifteen, sixteen. So maybe I was a late bloomer or something. But he ended up taking me to a couple top Premier League sides, West Ham, Everton, uh, Liverpool. None of them ended up working out for me. And then at one of the friendly matches for when I was on trial at Everton, we were playing at Manchester City. And then uh, a QPR scout was actually at the game. And then I did really well that game. And Ian was there. And uh, yeah, they spoke with Ian, spoke with me. Like, if obviously it didn't work out at Everton, like, we'd like to take him on trial. And we're interested in possibly signing him. So ended up just going straight down to London. QPR at the time, I believe they got promoted the year that I signed my first scholarship with them, I think. I believe so. So obviously, Premier League team, it's in London, probably one of the best cities in the world. I like, couldn't really turn it down to go on trial and obviously try to sign for them. Some people think that being a soccer player is just about sort of 90 minutes on the game day, but obviously it's not. It's like it's hard work in training. When you go into a club like QPR, which is still a really big club, like it's a big club, do you love getting up every morning and like going to training, like meeting up with the whole that like gang, the lads, and like getting out on the training pitch? Is that part of the experience that you enjoy? Yeah, one hundred percent. That's probably if you weren't enjoying that part of it, you would not be able to keep growing as a player, keep getting better and stuff like that. Because I think that's probably one of the best like kind of feelings every morning waking up. Even if you're tired, waking up and just like heading to the training facility, training ground and obviously seeing your friends, seeing the coaching staff, all that type of stuff. That's just one of the pluses when you get to clubs in England and stuff. Yeah, how did the um, the loan to Kilmarnock, for people who are listening that might not know, Kilmarnock is in the uh, Scottish Premier League. You went into Kilmarnock and you're a first team regular now. Is that something that really sort of like you enjoyed doing, playing week in, week out for a team? Yeah, 100%. I think that's the talk that I had and my agent had with uh, QPR, obviously, before I actually went out on loan to Kilmarnock was we need to just see him playing week in, week out and see really if I can do it because I really haven't in my career, I haven't done that. We played week in, week out and showed like what I can do at a good level, which the Scottish uh, Premiership is a good level. And then um, I did what they asked me to do. <laughs> So, so how, how is it playing like at places like Celtic Park and Ibrox, which is Celtic and Rangers? I mean, that must have been a great experience for you. Yeah, very, very good. And obviously big, big, big clubs. 
Well, first, uh, one of my friends plays for Rangers, uh, Glenn Kamara. I also play with him uh, in Finland as well. But obviously, I didn't know myself until I actually went there, watched a Europa League, uh, watched him play in a Europa League game. Then obviously playing against them as well. I didn't know how big of clubs they were until obviously I, I was actually there. And playing in front of that many fans, like, it's just something something you dream of and obviously like when you're there it just it's it's almost like a confidence booster all those people basically watching you play stuff like that so yeah how did you get on with the the scottish accent <laughs> even even to even to this day uh when they talk when they talk real fast i can't really understand them <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes um, my wife is American, and if we put something uh, Scottish on the TV, we have to put the subtitles on. She can pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, between it all of that, yeah, you you was in Los Angeles FC for a little bit as well. Was that a move that you were happy to make to come back to the USA and play in MLS? Yeah, I was. Uh, when it when it came about, I had uh, other uh, clubs I could have obviously went on loan to, but obviously LAFC was probably like the best team in the MLS and obviously like the coaching staff and stuff uh, Bob Bradley and all the other coaching staff the players Carlos Vela stuff like that I couldn't really say no to it and I knew that I was going to end up learning something or multiple stuff when I was there which I think I did and it helped me help me develop as a player as well even though I didn't get that much playing time but I did I think uh, develop as a as a player for sure So we've got to talk about the nationality a little bit, Nico. So, of course, you have Finnish and American heritage and you have played that one game for Finland in a friendly. Is that your choice made or are you still open or is it something you don't want to talk about? No, I'm still, I'm still open for it. Obviously, I haven't made that decision yet. Just right now, I'm kind of focusing on my club football, making, making sure I play and am playing at a good level um, week in, week out because I'm past the age of under-21 football now. Uh, for a national team so that's really now it's the age of I have to break into a senior team and the only way to do that is playing week in week out for obviously at, at a good level and I have to be doing and playing well as well so right now I'm open I'm open to everything but yeah we'll see how was it playing that game for Finland I mean I know you said you've come through the youth levels as well but to win a senior cap and uh to play for them and the Finland are a lot better than they maybe have been in the past was it was it a good learning experience again for you no 100% it was I think that's probably the highest level that I played in obviously playing for a country playing for Finland we had a training camp before the games and stuff so we were there for quite a while in Qatar in a short period of time learned a lot of stuff from all the other experienced professionals that have played in Germany and top clubs like that so yeah it's all good experiences so you mentioned that you're back in uh, in Florida for what we're going through at the moment this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic um how, how are you keeping fit how are you working out are you still managing to you know keep yourself in tip-top shape yeah uh they gave us obviously because I'm on loan at Kilmarnock they gave us this, like a kind of a schedule to keep ticking over and stuff like that. And obviously QPR sent me a schedule as well. Obviously it's hard to keep the same shape you were when you were training with as a team and stuff like that. But 
I am every day keeping keep myself ticking over and stuff like that so yeah and uh living in london what's that like i call it my second home <laughs> oh nice. obviously obviously because i've been there for this in august it will be six years but yeah i call it my second home i'm not really a fan of the winter time obviously because <laughs> i'm from florida but it's a nice city uh everyone's friendly nice places to go out to eat like for food and stuff met really like a lot of cool people out there so yeah nice and so you know is your plan to sort of stay at qpr break into that first team and you know and, and, and become a regular there is that is that your plan over the next sort of like two or three seasons yeah i think especially this season try to break into qpr's first team and try to be that uh main left back and then we'll just we'll see from there Let's say that you go up to the Premier League. So you play for QPR in the Premier League. Is there a player in the Premier League you'd really like to go up and test yourself against? I'd say probably like uh, Leroy Sané or uh, Raheem Sterling or something, 100%. Obviously, Mohamed Salah, people like that, like the top players, obviously. And then I'd be able to base my base what happened in that game off like what I need to work on and stuff like that. Nice. Is there, a, is there a particular sort of Premier League team that you'd, you know, you'd like to go and play in their stadium, Anfield maybe, somewhere like that? Uh, Anfield, for sure. I, I, support, I support Liverpool, so yeah. Ah, you Anfield. are a Liverpool fan, okay. Yeah. That's quite yeah. common because Scandinavians and Liverpool fans, that's, uh, that, that's, that's quite common. Is it always nice to come back to Florida, to come back to South Florida, to come back to West Palm Beach? You, do, do you yeah. miss it a little bit or is it, you know, it's still home, I guess? Yeah, no, 100% I miss it. The weather, obviously my, all my family live over here. Don't really get to see them like often unless they have time off work or whatever to fly over. But um, yeah, obviously miss like where I grew up and stuff like that. So. Well, Nico, I want to thank you for your time. It's been a great little chat. It's been great to find out a little bit more about you. Um, we'll definitely keep some tabs on you from over here in Miami. Like we say, we've been talking to players who are from Miami, from Fort Lauderdale, from West Palm Beach. Uh, and it's great to see someone making a name for themselves in Europe. So we wish you the best of luck. Sounds good. Thank you. Hopefully this is over soon. Yeah, hopefully. And um, maybe we'll have a chat. Maybe if that US cap comes calling, maybe we can have another chat with you and catch up. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Nico. <laughs> great chat with Nico. Like I say, it's... Um, Left back, you tell me, Omar, left back for the U.S. men's national team. Who'd be in his way? I know that the most prominent left back we've had in recent memory is Fabian Johnson, who literally hasn't lately been called up. I know he's been plagued with injuries at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, I, I want to say, I remember even before him, Timothy Chandler, uh, I can't even remember now if he was left back or right back, but I know he commanded one of the wing backs as well. You know, is it Greg Garza, maybe, uh, who's playing left back now? Yeah, because Yedlin is on the right. Yeah, right. on the right, correct. Yeah, Lynn's on the right. Um, there's Serginho Dest. He's a, he's a fullback, but I, I think he might be able to play on both sides. Um, if, it feels like there's an opportunity there. I think if he, if he nails down a starting place over the next couple of years and does well, I think he's got a tough decision between Finland and the USA. Of course, with Finland, you, know, you, get, um, you get the Euros and the World Cup, but it's harder to, for Finland to qualify for that World Cup. 
Yeah, you know 25. what's interesting? Yeah, go ahead, Emma. That it, when you just do a quick Google search, right? And I was going ahead and doing some crack staff researching while we're talking uh -huh. because we're not prepared for this at all, right? Uh, and you just do a quick U.S. men's national team, uh, U.S. men's national team left back, right? Just a quick Google search. Uh, he starts popping up in discussions, and he's yeah. you know Demarcus Beasley man that position for almost 20 years, which is insane when you really think about it, that it's really left such a void at that left back position. And it's really being manned by guys such as Greg Garza and, and Anthony Robinson might be his uh, toughest mm -hmm. competition. The, uh, the man out of Wigan. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But like, just to finish my thought, you know, the, the choice of the two countries, you know, with Finland, 25% of teams from UEFA make that World Cup. You know, at the moment, with the, with the World Cup increasing to 48 teams, you know, you've got the chance of doing every two years a major championship with all due respect to the Gold Cup over here in CONCACAF. But then <laughs> in, the, in the US national team, he's got a much better chance of qualifying for a World Cup and having a run in it as well. So uh, it's, uh, it's a nice choice for him to have. But I hope he goes for his country at birth. <laughs> Yeah, I, I imagine the travel time too, though. If he if he stays in Europe, you have to travel way back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Travel from 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 England or or from from uh, the United Kingdom back to the United States, play in all these random qualifiers into Central America, and as as Pablo noted, you know that that travel time will uh, that'll put a number on your body. Yeah, definitely. But what what I like as well about Nico is when when I asked him about going in every day and training, he was like, "100, percent I love it," and that's the <laughs> attitude you've got to have, isn't it? You know, there are footballers out there. I think probably the most high-profile one is who is named Dembele at Barcelona, and there's question marks over his commitment. And that, being honest, Gareth Bale as well. You know, it's Wales, then golf, then Madrid. So uh, to hear a young player going, I love getting up in the morning. I love going to training. I love working out with the guys, and I want to nail down a starting position somewhere. I think it's a matter of time before he starts to turn heads in uh, up in Chicago in Soccer House, and he'll get that call up. Without a doubt. We're going to bring this one in for a landing. As we've mentioned previously a couple of times throughout the show, uh, there is this episode two coming. There's even likely an episode three coming. And, you know, we're going to I keep... Have, oh, well, I, have, I, have, I have four. I have four, four. on the list. We have four. four episodes. Four episodes, three players an episode. And as you may have like seen from this first one, we sort of have an established player, in this case, Pablo, an up-and-comer, in this case, Nico, and a, a ladies player, in this case, Christy Fisher. Um, and that's the structure for the for the upcoming episodes. So uh, keep your eyes peeled. We've got a couple of uh, couple of players who um, I was quite pleased to nab on Instagram. I sent so many messages on Instagram that the Magic Talk <laughs> account got uh, got banned for twenty four hours. But here no, we are. So We've got some fault. great got chats. We've got some great chats coming up. Keep your eyes peeled over the next couple of weeks. Just like an infomercial. Just when you thought we were giving you a certain <laughs> amount. But wait, there's more. There's more. Um, yeah, and no payments of nine ninety nine for six months until you get this done. No shipping or handling. We can give us cash on delivery. That's fine. We'll always take it. <laughs> Lee, it's a pleasure catching up with you today, man. Tell the people where they can find you. Oh, oh the usual places. Um, actually, you know what? Just go on Instagram and look for Magic City Sock. That is our Instagram account. That's my main little uh, little bundle of fun. Um, and Lee underscore Evans, I-F-A-N-S on Twitter. As you guys already know, you can find me on Twitter at Mobite11. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash magiccitysoccer, twitter.com at magiccitysoccer. You go to our website, 
magiccitysoccer.co or magiccity.soccer. It's always a pleasure to do one of these things. And we really hope from our family to yours that you guys are staying healthy. Keep washing those hands. Buy the hand sanitizer. Hit refresh on Amazon a few more times because it's in stock. You can get it when it gets to your house. That's a different story. But make sure you stock up, guys. Be safe. Be well. We're here for the comments. Like us on all of these platforms. Subscribe if you can. Leave a rating. We'd appreciate it. And uh, stay safe more than anything else.